Hi there, I'm JP. And I'm Alex. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. JP, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? You know, since it just came out today, I would like to plug uh, Return to Monkey Island, uh, mm. uh, a nice adventure game uh, by some former co-workers and associates of mine, I guess. Uh, but also just, yeah, like sort of a return of many storied adventure game developers. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just plugging it because it's, you know, it's sort of weirdly tangled up in my life, I guess. And uh, it came out today and it feels sort of momentous. Because yeah. in a certain sense, I've been waiting for the game for uh, for thirty years. It's yeah, it's, it feels like a big deal. I have it on my hard drive, but I haven't started it yet. Have you actually played any of it? Yeah, I played a little bit this morning, and then I was playing it. Yeah, like after work today. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, is it good? It's yeah, it's it's been fantastic so far. Like it looks beautiful, and it's yeah, I'm I'm really appreciating the sort of yeah, just the the maturity and the wit, and I don't know. Yeah, it's. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to talk it up. Uh, no, that, that's really exciting to hear because um, Curse of Monkey Island was the first point-and-click adventure game I ever played, and I feel like that really changed the trajectory of my life. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Well, t- tell us more about that. Yeah, it's a great one. I mean, just you know, it it kind of started my love, my love of uh, point-and-click adventures. Like it's one of my favorite game genres, and I've oh, played sure. so many. And that's kind of where it all started on a uh, a bootleg copy my dad got somewhere. <laughs> awesome. Is that the one that starts with Guybrush like floating on flotsam in the ocean? Yeah, that's right. He's in a bumper car. Right. Yeah. yeah. From the Carnival of the Damned. Yep. Yeah, I've had I've had some of the some some random scraps of the music from that popping into my head all day. Curse has particularly lovely background art and uh, music, mm-hmm. and and yeah, it's the yeah. first voice acted one. Yeah, very memorable music, definitely. Uh, and Alex, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, yes, my name is Alex, um, and I would like to plug overalls, just because they're great. Nice. Yeah, it's like if you had suspenders that were just built into the pants. Yeah. Yeah, suspenders as an architectural feature, not just an, an add-on. Yeah. yeah. Right, and they don't come unclipped like uh, like suspenders do. Well, that's that's actually a feature of suspenders, though. If you wanna, <laughs> if you wanna go go to the bathroom, for example, you you don't have to take off your entire outfit. Oh, uh, well, some sacrifices are necessary. Oh, you could get um, you know how in in westerns you'll see people wearing onesie pajamas with a trap door mm-hmm. on the, the poop b- flap. The poop is that what it's called? The poop flap. The poop flap. Yeah. <laughs> they should make o- yeah. o- overalls with those as well. Genius. And then people are like, people are always trying to sneak up behind you and undo your poop flap. Mm-hmm. I feel like if 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 other articles of clothing started adopting the trapdoor design feature, it could take society to a really dark place. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how exactly, and I don't necessarily want to think through the implications of that. But yeah, no some some thoughts were meant to be left unthought. Yeah, like if I just saw if I was just walking down the street and I saw somebody. With just like regular like Levi's or something, and they but they had a trapdoor. I would be like, man, society is moving in a direction right now. I don't know what it is, but this is the dark timeline. Yeah, something something is happening. Capital H. Uh, are we ready to start on some topics? Yeah, yeah. JP, your topic is your gravestone has a button people can press to play a sound clip, ten seconds or less. It can loop or be a one shot. Your preference. What sound clip does your gravestone play? So, you know, I actually don't have an easy answer for this. So 
I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. Ha- I, I don't have like an answer just queued up. It's more just a sense of possibility. So why don't y'all answer first? It's thought provoking. The obvious answer is just the first word of All Star by Smash Mouth. Okay, so just yeah, just just the sum, the elongated, the famous elongated sum. Yeah. Yeah. Or similarly, the uh, the it's been from one week. Oh yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Both of which have been just basically used as like a tracker instrument level fidelity <laughs> compositional element by Neil Cesarigo on the mouth. Uh, uh-huh. Is it the mouth tetralogy at this point or just the mouth trilogy? I forget. Uh, according to, according to the people who made, make the aliens DVDs, it's, it's a quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is it quadrilogy or, tre- or no, tetralogy? It's not, it's not, it's tetralogy. Quadrilogy. I feel like was a word made up by people who thought that no one would know what tetralogy meant. Yeah, they would be like, "What are there like? How many is a tetralogy? Is that yeah. did, they, did yeah. they make five more Alien movies that and just didn't tell me? <laughs> no. Well, they've done that now. It does definitely have that that feel of like a marketing executive being like, "People aren't going to know what a tetralogy is. We're going to call it the quadrilogy. People know what the quad is because of the Burger King quad stacker. Yeah, or yep. whatever." <laughs> It's always that's always the marketing guy. If I wanted to stick with um, good branding, I would play the the Twin Beard jingle that plays on the the Frog Fractions loading screen. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Every 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 game studio needs a jingle. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it is a a product of its. Well, okay, I, I was going to say a product of its time, but its time is like the early nineties. Like I was thinking about. Um, like the Konami logo on Super Nintendo games mm-hmm, that has mm-hmm, little yep. like or, or yeah. like Sierra or Lucasfilm have like mm-hmm. animated logos before their games and mm-hmm. little uh, yeah. accompanying jingles. But I don't think that's super common anymore. It's coming back kind of as like as a throwback or a nostalgia thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember if uh, if MetaNet uh, has one, you know, they definitely have like their own cool graphic design and stuff since, but I forget if they did make a sound or, or come up with a meta net sound or not or if they were or if i just remember talking with with those folks about it but uh but yeah like yeah yeah, there's definitely multiple indie studios that like have like a little kind of you know they have a cool tightly designed like treasure style logo and then a little sound chime i think also like the nostalgia for like old console startup noises like the like the gamecube and ps2 and dreamcast and stuff you know those all had like very distinctive and any of those obviously are good candidates for someone's gravestone to play oh, true. imagine how right. soothing imagine how comforted your grieving loved ones would be if they pressed the button on your gravestone and just heard the, the soothing tones of the dreamcast <laughs> uh startup sound but, but do you want to soothe your loved ones or do you want to like annoy them like that's the question like for me i would probably have like me saying you know uh it smells like updog in here <laughs> Right, and they they know that puts them in a in a in an interesting bind because they know that that you're not going to respond to them. You know, they're 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 being handed a setup, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's sort of a way of having the last laugh. So that's yeah, that's it's good trolling them from beyond the from grave. beyond the, the grave. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, one thing that came up on a very early episode of Topic Lords was Ryan talked about visiting a museum in berlin where uh there was a malfunctioning robot spider and he just decided yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna 
I'm just going to walk past this spider because if it kills me, that would be incredible. That would be an incredible death. <laughs> and and then and then we talked about how everybody should have an animated heath of their death on their tombstone, like a like just a three second loop of how they died. Uh-huh. Wait. Did you did you just did you just pronounce the the graphic like the, the file extension for the graphical interchange format? Yeah, I pronounced it heath. Yes. Okay. Okay. All this right. This is this is okay. This is my compromise that I I've been trying to make it real. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're King Solomoning the the GIF versus GIF debate. Yeah. The, and the downside is I have to say animated before it, so it's like more syllables. Animated heath. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. No, okay, yeah. So, yeah, getting back to your point, yeah, the, the the death gif on the on the tombstone, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's maybe you would have to pay extra for that, or maybe there would be like a governing body that would decide whether your death was cool enough that you get the you get the video mm-hmm. versus yeah. the people who just have to. Well, okay, I guess I'm going to just have an audio clip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because some people's some people's gifs or heaths uh, would just be like. They're in a hospital bed surrounded by loved ones and, you know, their life support turns off. And Yeah, the and, camera you know, cuts to the plug being pulled. As, as, we would, <laughs> as they would say in, in, in the indie game development promotional, uh, you know, sort of circuit, that's not very gifable. So, you know, <laughs> you're not going to get – your right. death is not going to sell that many copies on Steam, you know, if you don't have – you need a spicier death. You need to walk in front of a mechanical spider or something. Yeah. But who has the the poor job of sorting through all of the the death, you know, uh, recordings and figuring out which ones are the most oh, the, exciting? The right people will find that. The people who who crave that shit would love that job. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the it's the psychologically traumatized Facebook moderators uh, who you know I don't really want to make light of because that's a real job and it fucking scars <laughs> people and it's a. It's disgusting that humans have to do that because a company can't scale their moderation processes effectively. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess like a, a, a semi-serious answer might be like the first 10 seconds or so of uh, of Bowie's Heroes before before the lyrics come in. Just that, just okay, that, yeah. that, that Robert Fripp uh, guitar lick, you know, that just comes in. It, it, the song doesn't really have an intro per se. It just sort of, you know starts running the way that it carries on but uh i don't know that's a nice that's a nice little that that's that's gonna send money like david bowie's estate gets royalties for that oh god yeah yeah i hadn't considered yeah right so the ip situations surrounding people's gravestone looping wave button but this is solvable like you could instead of having a push button it could be you put a quarter in oh okay okay yeah yeah and and the coins just go straight down into my casket (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and if david boy wants it, he can come get it it's just like one of those uh arcade games where the quarters will eventually push their way out oh yeah is that a thing yeah those like moving table arcade games where the coins pile up on top oh right yes yeah it's okay. like these sliding things yeah that, that was, that was a, it's a, always an interesting principle it's just you're sort of like wagering on your ability to read emergence with those things right it's kind of the interesting and of course you can't like you know you're like oh yeah that that thing the the coins look pretty heaped up on that side i guess the manu not the manufacturer but the operator has to seed those right otherwise you're just like yeah i'm gonna be the first person i'm gonna drop the quarter into this empty plate (laughs) 
<laughs> right, and absolutely nothing is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, so it's got a weird sort of incentive. Yeah, they must have to just seed it with tons of quarters, and then, you know, they're basically sculpting the the, the, ch- the terrain of challenge there. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's, I wonder if they have to, if there's like a guidebook on how to, how to build the quarter terrain. If it's like a electric football, where, do you guys know about electric football? Yeah, no. I think so. This was a game where you have pieces that like have like metal bases. I, th- I think it work, works via vibration. Mm-hmm. Like you set yep. up your football pieces, it, like a, you, you, in your, in your line of scrimmage. And your opponent does the same thing, and then you flip this. You turn on the board, and the board just vibrates. And then the pieces kind of they go where they're yeah, going to the, go. They the Brownian motion of the of the pieces. Yeah, right, right. And like there's there's uh, aftermarket like you can pay uh, ungodly amounts of money for pieces that move in a certain pattern because that's <laughs> the, the the cheating strategy, the, the, the shape of the metal that it happens to be. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's like a weighted die, basically. Right, and I'm just imagining that, like, yeah, you just dump a bunch of quarters on this plate, and then the plate vibrates and creates the perfect crystalline quarter layout mm. for for optimal money gouging. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably essentially how it works, right? Even if you just like dump the quarters in, they kind of happen to pile up in a way that's you know close to the edge and deceivingly tantalizing. Yeah, yeah, I guess just dumping the quarters in will create the vibration. Yeah, after a while, it will just kind of take on its own, you know, shape. That yeah. What I want to, what I really want to know is what what high level play for that looks like. Like the people who are really good at those quarter pusher games. Like right. what 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 is their eye telling them? You know, what is their practiced, uh, you know, eye for? random piles of quarters they're like that one's gonna go i can i can tell i'm the i'm the quarter whisperer or, yeah, or to yeah. kind of predict how close it is right to look at a table and be like this one's 22 dollars away this yep. one's yeah. ri- this one's yeah. not ripe yet yeah yeah like there there are allegedly people who can like get two prizes at once in the claw machine you know that sort of thing yeah yeah, being able to do that rely like I'm sure that there are like random skills and nuances you pick up on, but like when it's a rigged game, like claw machines obviously are, it's like right. being really good at beating a rigged game is an interesting skill uh, to to possess. Yeah. Capitalism. <laughs> Etc. I just want to be really good at funnel cake. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, what what is what, what's high level funnel cake play look like? Uh you just eat the whole thing in like three seconds. Oh damn! Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm a, I'm a ranky amateur then. Oh man, that would be such a waste of like. Do you, have you heard heard the advice from dentists that if you're going to drink soda, you should drink it really quickly? That sounds awful. <laughs> but then you don't like, savor it, right? That's right. The, that's the downside. Right. Like. The dentists don't understand why people drink. They don't understand the purpose of drinking soda. Yeah, it's to taste it. And, and they're just like, well, if you if you really want to get these empty calories for some reason, here's a way you can do it safely. Slug <laughs> it down. Yeah, I don't know if y'all are familiar with um, with drills with famous Twitter account drills uh, YouTube channel. He's only ever posted like three or four videos on it in its entire existence. You know, since 
15 years ago or whatever. But for the longest time, one of the only two videos on Drill's YouTube channel was titled simply Largest Sip. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a guy, it's a guy in like a tracksuit, like just proceeding to down in an entire two liter of Mountain Dew while the, <laughs> while, the while the French electro duos uh, justice their track uh, stress plays and yeah if you're not familiar with that track it, it definitely sounds like what its title is right. um, I'll, yeah and then it has a surprise ending sort of uh, which I which I won't spoil but uh, yeah largest sip is is quality quality YouTube is the joke that a sip is like the, the, you're trying to find the the edge between sip and gulp and f- take the largest sip that's not quite a gulp. I think the guy is undeniably gulping down the soda. I think it's just like it's treating the sip as like every time your lips contact, imbibe, and then leave the 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 container, that is a single sip. So mm-hmm. if you do just slug the entire thing down and look like you're <laughs> about to die midway through, then that is still considered one sip. I would say that like one sip is is one inhale, right? Like if you inhale multiple times, that's multiple <laughs> sips, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, right. See, that's a that's a that seems like a very a, a well formed an, another an alternate well formed. Uh, definition of I'm sip. just obsessed with this idea that like that's the joke but clearly there's more to it than this according to your description of the video yeah it's more about the experience it's it's a it's a vibe as as folks would say nowadays yeah there's right, a particular right, right. type of energy coming off of the video that uh that I, that we might also describe as cursed are we uh are we ready for another topic shoot sure alex your topic is counting the beats in any meanie yeah, so you know, obviously there's the uh, the children's way of picking someone to go first in a game where you do eeny meeny miny mo um, that has survived for you know certainly since I was a kid and 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 uh, my kids do it, but like it kind of blows my mind that people still do this when it's so easy to count the beats and know exactly whose turn it's going to be right. Like eeny meeny miny mo, the 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 basic eeny meeny miny mo has sixteen beats, so. If you know how many players there are, you know who's going to go first. Yeah, you divide by yeah, 16, yeah. you take the remainder. Wait, divide 16. Anyway, you know what I yeah. mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so here's the trick, though. If you want to switch it up, you can say you are not it, and then you can eliminate a player. Uh-huh. And but then you end up picking. I think you end up picking the same thing because you're just you're 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 negating it. But you're, then you're also moving to the other player. So the, the the not it thing only works if um there are two players and you're eliminating one. Right, but sometimes there's like multiple players. Right, you'll in- eliminate other players one by one until you're left with with the player who's it. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds terrible. That sounds like it's a lot of uh, a lot of waiting to to deal with. Yeah, okay. So you're you're saying this is like a good magician could find they could calculate all this out in their head, find the starting point and pick like pick exactly the card that they want. Yeah, but you don't even have to be a good magician to just notice that it's always, you know, if you start at a certain person, it's always like the person to their left who gets picked. You know, you don't yeah. even have to 
do the division to notice that for a given yeah. group for a given sized group of people yeah like it's like yeah i know that i i'm gonna pick the third person in this group if i want it to land on me yeah yeah and then you could like you know you could vote or rock paper scissors or something for who the eeny meeny miny mo is going to start on and then it's just you know who is who is good and not good at thinking through the the combinations but i have to imagine most kids like would notice something like that. And, you know, I certainly did. But I noticed know. it, but I was just never in a position to be the person who did the picking. I was just never that socially dominant. Mm-hmm. And and so I don't know what it's like to to be both charismatic and mathematically inclined. <laughs> yeah. It's been any mini miny mo has been solved from a game theoretic standpoint. That's right. I guess. Yeah. It's I think the thing that I always considered the X factor, I mean, I haven't done any meeny miny mo in many years, but the thing I, I sort of remember is that like the X factor is like, like how people's finger waggles around. Cause it's like in a certain interpretation, any meeny miny mo is just a thing that you say while you're waggling your finger back and forth in a kind of rhythmic way. And it's really like the, that rhythm that determines, you know, what oh, the, interesting. What the what? Who the finger is going to land on when the when the little song is is over with? Yeah, because I've always seen it that it's like kind of one beat per person. You know, the yeah, finger moves one beat at a time. If you were doing refereed eeny meeny miny mo, that's definitely <laughs> how you'd want to do it. But I just sort of like when, I'm trying to remember like as a kid or something when just like you know neighborhood kids and I would just be like picking something. And it was it was just chaos, you know. We were you know we were kids. We didn't we didn't know what we were doing. We couldn't move our finger to a to a fixed beat. We didn't know about time signatures, <laughs> etc. Maybe I was just a very rule obsessed kid. I think yeah. It's, it sounds like you were you were just uh, observant, you know, in a way that that I sure wasn't. Did you force some choices that you pretended were be, you were being fair? Well, so this is kind of the moral dilemma is that, you know, I didn't want to do that, right? I didn't want to to cheat, but also I knew the answer. So I had to kind of try to force myself to not think about it. But, you know, once you know something, you can't, you can't unknow it. You can't ignore that knowledge once it's there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a difficult spot to be in. Yeah. If only you just never thought about it. Right. If only you were dumb like everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get the kids started early on those moral dilemmas. Yeah. I guess it was good practice. Good, good practice for believing the the lies that we form our society on, <laughs> right? That 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 uh that sort of skill based or random processes are actually you know highly ordered and you know designed to produce fixed outcomes that <laughs> you know favor certain certain classes of people or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The illusions start start early. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Sure, sure. Uh, my topic is SoundScan and the SoundScan era. Uh, this is about uh, how they calculate uh, the best-selling music. So I've been reading the series about the, all the number ones in the history of number ones yeah, since yeah, 1958. Yeah. And one thing that came up uh, around the early 90s is that the way they calculated which songs sold the most – it, it became much more mechanized. It, it began to be transmitted digitally instead of being reported over the phone. And so previously, people like the, the Billboard folks would like call up radio stations and ask, like, 
what songs have you played the most? And they would call up record shops and ask what records have sold the most. And they would get answers by someone speaking to them. And this was very open to um, manipulation, which apparently was very common. Like uh, apparently there was a lot of bribery going on. Mm, Yeah. And uh, they replaced this system in the early 90s with a system that just digitally transmitted the sales. And so it was much more accurate. And immediately, rap and R&B took over the charts. Oh, interesting. From from rock and roll. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was really, really fascinating just how, how abrupt the shift was. And the other thing that happened was that songs started to dominate for much longer. Like, if you look look at the, the 80s, there might be three dozen, three or four dozen number one hits, different number one hits yeah, over the course of the turnover. year. Of each year. Uh, and in throughout the 90s, it's more like one dozen. The hypothesis is that it was just in everybody's best interest in the business to just keep things moving along. Just like let an existing hit keep, keep, uh, keep stay at the top of the charts. Uh, the, the other way, the other way around, like you don't want people to get sick of it. You want people to come in and buy the hot new thing. Mm, okay. And so you want there to be turnover. Planned obsolescence for music. Yeah. Yeah. So was rock and roll being just astroturfed? Like the, the, the sudden surge in like R&B and hip hop uh, po- popularity, was that because it was being artificially suppressed or because its competitors were being artificially inflated? Like what was the... I'm not sure there's a difference. I mean, like... I, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, like what... I think what probably was happening was that record store owners were tended to be rock and roll people just because they were older. Yeah, they were rockists, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they, so they would just fudge the numbers a little bit. Mm-hmm. You would also see this is now we're getting away from sound sound scan specifically, but for example, a one one of the best selling artists of the '90s was Garth Brooks, and Garth Brooks was not on the Hot 100 at all uh, because he didn't want to be. And the reason for this is apparently like country music is its own siloed thing. Right. It's its own parallel world and to to chart on the pop charts would actually damage his credibility. Sure, yeah. Among the audience. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Apparently like you really need to uh do a lot of very specific things to get a, a number one hit. Like it's not just you make a good song and people like it. The label will do things like they will put the song out on the radio and then when it's reaching its reaching its peak of popularity they will then release the single so everybody buys it at once mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the, yeah. the sales and the airplay combined get the get the maximum and 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 because up until like the late 90s the song had to be released as a single to be on the chart at all you could guarantee yourself that you will never be on the you will never be on this pop chart if you don't release a single but then there's also things like there are a lot of acts that never really placed high on the charts because you just make more money from album sales. And so mm-hmm. you don't release a single because you want your, your album is selling so well. And so it's really a, um, a balancing act of like placing high on the hot 100 will give you like more popularity. So like you're building up the brand, but at the expense of, of, of the albums that you could be selling right now instead of selling singles. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I, I wonder if there's like a better metric than, than you know billboard position to measure you know how popular a song is yeah yeah i don't know 
it's it's pretty clearly yeah just like right the, the existing metrics are just like this this arbitrary you know accident of of things the industry valued and was paying attention to so yeah like yeah i believe there were and still are radio airplay charts um i think at some point there were jukebox charts like what songs were being played most in the jukebox <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah back when that was more of a that was a and though i haven't gotten gotten to this part like the, the column hasn't gotten this far yet it's up to like 2001 um the one that's writing about all the hot 100 hits uh presumably there are also streaming charts now mm-hmm. yeah and so like and, and then of course there are album sales charts and so i think the the way to uh determine like how big was a song was like you just how how much did this permeate the culture like maybe you poll people and say do you remember this song mm-hmm. yeah take a microphone around and re- record what people are humming that's right yeah yeah it's 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 basically a way of trying to like turn the deeply subjective experiences of cultural popularity and enjoyment into like these metricy kind of things so that you can rank stuff which is always just such a weird, you know, distortion prone process. You know, and you're measuring yeah, popularity. Yeah. It's like there's a bunch of songs that are like big hits on the radio or something, but like everyone that you talk to says that they hate them, that they hate the song mm-hmm. or something, you know? It's like, okay, well, who is actually enjoy like clearly it's it's getting it's getting airplay, but you know, it's almost like a cliche of like, oh yeah, there's like this song on the radio that every that everybody knows and listens to. But a lot of people are just ambivalent or actively hate it because it has some it's, it's something about it is annoying or something. And it's like, is that a popular song or just a a highly exposed song, you know? Yeah, yeah. And presumably these like play choices are made by radio DJs and, you know, industry people rather than like, you know, it's not all requests. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, just like the way that radio eventually went was just that it was just entirely controlled by like a tiny number of companies just setting the playlists, you know, and it's completely subject to these sorts of like, you know, just capital directed influences. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we can, we can, this is a, this is a machine. This is a, this is a claw game. This is a quarter pushing game that we, and we know how to, you know, we've got the, the few pros that walk the earth and we know how to get the result that we want out of this big, weird, chaotic machine. And we're going <laughs> to, we know exactly where to, where to stick our quarter. Yeah. Speaking to the phenomenon of like something's on the radio and everybody hates it. Like, I, I think the answer to that one is actually really easy. It's, it's, it's probably enjoyed by people in a different age demographic than you or yeah. just a different dem- yeah. demographic in general. Like a, a lot of pop music is just, it's loved. It's it's driven by teens, especially the teen girl demographic is very very prone to like they sell really well and everybody seems to hate them. Yeah, everybody right because you know I mean yeah because society definitely has a problem with like oh teen girls are enjoying something it must be frivolous and shallow and stupid and whatever you know and yeah and maybe sometimes it is but yeah like definitely you know as a as a guy growing up in the nineties I was definitely sort of taught that like oh yeah like in sync oh man that's that's the that's the most uncool shit ever because you know it's you know it's it's just you know it's mainstream and popular therefore it must be bad yeah and also like you know the 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 folks going really wild for it are you know teenage girls who were kind of taught to to you know to to devalue the the perspective of and like anything Mm -hmm. that they're anything that they're into has to be 
not cool. You know, and that's, I think that's partly where the rockism thing comes from. You know, it's like, oh yeah, like prog white dudes doing prog rock, you know, doing 17 minute songs. That's, that's the real art. That's the, uh, that's the, that's, that's the real (laughs) intersection of fine art and popular music. Uh, and all this other stuff is just is just disposable garbage, you know, and that's definitely been like, you know, sort of this axis of like, you know, discourse that's certainly older than than me. But certainly now with streaming, people have more choice over what they listen to, right? You're not limited to, you know, the five radio stations or whatever that you're in range of. So, you know, maybe you're less likely to listen to things outside of your demographic. It seems like it's really just given way to a to a sort of newer and more chaotic ecosystem of well-capitalized players figuring out how to game the streaming systems, you know? And of course, the streaming systems are themselves, you know, they're the casino. So, mm-hmm. you know, they have their own dynamics that they subject. You know, it's the platform, it's the it's the platform power game where, you know, they know how to how to set the rules so that the record companies do the thing that's that's profitable to them so that they can get so that the record companies can get their own money back out of the system and stuff like that. But yeah, like the selection definitely seems good. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm one of those old fogies who still just has a directory of MP3s and I have a Jellyfin server running on my home machine so I can listen to it anywhere I want, but that's a I don't know. I'll be dead soon and then and then everybody will, on earth will be streaming or something. Your grandkids know. will inherit your MP3s. <laughs> yeah. Put your MP3s on your tombstone. The, oh, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If my tombstone can instead have a terabyte of storage, it just has a USB slot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess maybe the artists that are in my collection wouldn't necessarily be cool with it, but yeah, I like the idea of my gravestone having a USB slot and people can just walk up and like copy anything they want to off of it. Yeah, you just have to get a tombstone manufactured by the Napster Corporation and then <laughs> you could just... Nap- Napster has been reincarnated in so many cursed ways over the years, if I recall, right? Like, didn't they, they, they sort of pivoted to being streaming. Oh, yeah. And I think they, you know, like a year or two ago, they went through some sort of NFT bullshit phase or no, something. I didn't, so I didn't hear about that. I, I could be just, it could just be a hallucination that I... It could just be that that, that definitely happened, even if none of us heard about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe none, maybe nobody heard about it, you know? How many companies have pivoted to garbage and just nobody ever heard of it? They did a press release, but nobody cared. Did they even really do it? Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. Uh, for this topic, we're going to be reading There Will Come Soft Rains by Sarah Teasdale. Who would like to read this poem? Would one of you like to read it or shall I? Uh, I can read it. Okay. Uh, wartime. There will come soft rains and the smell of the ground and swallows circling with their shimmering sound, and frogs in the pools singing at night, and wild plum trees in tremulous white. Robins will wear their feathery fire, whistling their whims on a low fence wire, and not one will know of the war, not one will care at last when it's done. Not one would mind, neither bird nor tree, if mankind perished utterly, and spring herself, when she woke at dawn, would scarcely know that we were gone. So so this was written by someone who died in 1933, so this is about World War One and not any of the more obvious world-ending wars. I mean, World War One definitely felt like the world-ending war you yeah. know, at the time. That we, the, the poor folks, just didn't know didn't know what was coming later. Um, apparently, this 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 also yeah connects to the uh, to the Spanish flu to to, to the to the last to the pandemic of a hundred years ago. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the nostalgia for the Spanish flu. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is a, a very um, – I find this very comforting. The idea that nature will move on and be fine without us, I, that makes me very happy to, to, to believe that that will happen. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's an inevitability, you know. Like I, I I think there are scenarios where humans could render the planet, you know, highly uninhabitable, you know, through through just like an absolute catastrophe type situation. But in in most scenarios in which you know humans go completely extinct via some sudden catastrophe, life still definitely survives. You know, like I think. Yeah. I think we, you know, when we think of the world being destroyed or the world ending, we're really talking about our own civilization and our own, you know, our own species. You know, the planet is a giant ball of iron with all kinds <laughs> of single-celled organisms on it that have been, you know, that have hung on and kept evolving for 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 eons. Um, yeah, yeah, and similar to the the cast iron pan discourse, no matter what we do to the planet, it's going to keep being a lump of iron. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know the, yeah the absolute worst thing that could happen would be like another fairly sizable lump of ball of iron you know hits it and then that that could be pretty bad but uh you know we don't we're keeping an eye out on space for that yeah it's sort of an aesthetic that's in the air you know like i feel like when people are, are admiring uh brutalist art like bare con bare concrete architecture overgrown with with leaves or like dead malls that are overgrown with with foliage or something you know mm -hmm. that that those that, that kind of aesthetic i think is sort of speaking to that that sense of like you know nature outliving humanity in a in in sort of a hopeful poetic way yeah um, what's what strikes me is not just that like nature would outlive us but also that we're so insignificant that you know the life on the planet wouldn't even notice that we that we're not here anymore i would say that's more about the birds not being very observant because We've left a mark. <laughs> we've, we've, yeah. I, well, and they wouldn't mind. They'd be like, "Oh, we." The birds would be like, "Oh, we know what what they did. We 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 saw it, but we don't mind." I can yeah. shed a tear for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I actually have a weird uh, associate. Like, yeah, like I was I was familiar with this uh, with this poem, and and that's why I suggested it. But um, but I'm actually familiar with this poem because. There was a Ray Bradbury uh, short story named after it, uh, huh. which which has a significantly more grim uh, kind of uh, undercurrent to it. It's related, but yeah, and so like there, and the two are kind of linked in my mind because they're you know thematically they are definitely sort of you know connected. But yeah, the Ray Bradbury story is about um, it's a short story that describes an automated, a fully automated human house of like the near to far future or something uh you know that has like an automated dishwasher and little cleaning robots and all that kind of stuff you know some of which have come to pass in the years since since bradbury wrote the story but they're but they're all just sort of going on and doing their their business even though it, it it's revealed uh we're in the aftermath of uh, of a nuclear uh you know extinction and so we have a world that's just full of little automated devices that are going about and carrying out the instructions that we gave them, even though we wiped ourselves out. So, you know, significantly grimmer. And, you know, and it sort of takes on, you know, it's, it's got a different uh, sort of aesthetic and, 
it's, it's a different idea being expressed. But I think there is still that core of like, yeah, things outliving humanity. Oh, I, I actually kind of find comfort in that idea too. Like the uh, the village of Rube Goldberg automatons re-triggering each other forever. It's a it's a nice thought, but something that yeah, I mean, I, it's something that I have a little less confidence in because like what we now know, you know, we do have cleaning robots now, and they're all you know completely planned obsolescent junk, so they will not outlive us significantly. The Roomba's battery will run Break down in two years. Yeah, even if even if the room house somehow survives becoming a lump of melted plastic next to the lumps of, of ash that, that we become, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's little battery is going to run down and it doesn't have a home, you know, and then you have the internet of shit, which means that it's not, it's going to be, you know, expecting a call back from a home server. It's not going to get, get the, the promised firmware updates delivered. So it's going to, you know, it's going to spend its last its last moments just running into a wall like a bad video game enemy AI. <laughs> there's there's like a a band of roving pranksters in the post apocalypse who are just running around sending out bad Roomba firmware updates. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Just hacking them and assembling a little squad of uh, of, of warriors. Yeah. 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 Like in uh, in Half Life, when you have like. Four scientists and five cops following five parties <laughs> yeah, following entourage, you around. Yeah, you have an entourage, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be that would be incredible. The idea of like, you know, you you roll up on the I guess you 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 go to prom with like you come out of your limo and then like six Roombas come out after you. Yeah, the Roomba squad. Yeah. 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 All decked out in formal attire. Or or the rap battle. That would be even better. Yeah, like they're your backup crew. Yeah, yeah. They've been they've <laughs> got they've got subwoofers installed and so forth. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So like when you need them to you need them to shout something along with you, they they will make the doo doo sound when they can't pathfind somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice thought. And this is all happening in the in the post apocalypse, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they still and have sort of they still have rap battles and prom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, the, the number one rule of post-apocalypse, of post, of fictional post-apocalypse, is is that cool shit still happens. Yeah, and cool shit is what happened when the author was fourteen. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like whatever, whatever needs to be true about you know the way that society act, the way that civilization actually destroyed itself preserves uh i don't know what do people think what do the creators of post-apocalyptic fiction think is cool cars obviously so you can have the road warrior and so forth uh mm-hmm. guns uh petroleum infrastructure in general somehow totally mm-hmm. implausible but uh you know insulin implicitly because well or maybe not yeah because they don't care about that and they don't think it's cool but so sucks to be those billions of people I don't know, just like the, the just absolutely like childishly bizarre myopia of post-apoc fiction. It's 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 a it's a genre that like I mean even though Fury Road is like a masterpiece, like as as like a fictional space to like put my head into and think about a story happening in it. It's just nonsense. Like it just completely <laughs> like it it just seems completely like 
you know, like a this this anti-political sort of just like, you know, there's there's no version of that scenario I can believe in. And it almost seems like most iterations of it are just sort of like harmful in that they're sort of like telling us like, oh, yeah, there's still going to be there's still going to be gasoline. It's like, no, there's come on, man. Like this is <laughs> these are these are weird ass. This is this is the worst kind of futurism, you know, and obviously like it plays into like, you know, a bunch of prepper shit where it's like, oh, yeah, cool. My guns are going to be the thing that make me really cool you know what do you think it does to like the the moral standing of fury road that it's basically a cartoon <laughs> they, they really play up the ridiculousness of it yeah yeah no and i think i think that that's i think that that was that's absolutely critical to how it works you know i think it th- there's like the way that a lot of the shots from that film like the most intense beautiful moments from that film it's it, it feels like a dream you know, it's like a really fucked up vivid dream that you're having, you know, and I think that that's yeah. like that's that's a good shelf for it to rest on within the collective psyche, because it's like, yeah, like our dreams can be disturbing and weird and make absolutely no sense. Uh, and they can have a lot of power because of that, you know, so it's I don't know. Yeah. And like, so I don't want to like, you know, paint all post-apocalyptic fiction with that kind of brush. It's not like everything needs to be this well thought through fictional premise that can kind of support you know, substantial socio-political whatever ideas or something. But um, yeah, that one's definitely kind of uh, stands out. Yeah. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Alex, your topic is the scorched earth strategy for lowest positive unique integer. Yeah. Return to my ideas about uh, schoolyard games uh, <laughs> and how to pick someone. So there's this uh, way to to pick someone in schoolyard games that's better than any mini mini mo. Uh, which is called lowest positive unique integer. Uh, and the way this works is that everybody at the same time, you know, look rock, paper, scissors style, uh, chooses a number to, to throw with their fingers. And whoever throws the lowest number that is not also thrown by someone else is the winner. Hmm. Uh, and this game is great because it's like rock, paper, scissors in that, you know, it it, it picks someone or, or maybe there's a tie and you have to go again if everyone picks the same number. Uh, but there's no kind of easy way to game it necessarily. So I always thought that was really neat and a really neat way to, to pick someone. But uh, it's kind of interesting because there's also this scorched earth strategy where if you make it known uh, ahead of time to everyone or you have a reputation perhaps of always picking one, the lowest number you can pick, then uh, it kind of puts other people in a position where they can't also pick one or else they know they're going to lose. But if they don't pick one, then they're going to let you win. And so kind of by advertising that in advance, you have like deterred competition. And and deterred having friends. Yeah, <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah, that's a really interesting and smart way of like selecting something. Um, I, I hadn't heard of I hadn't heard of it before. I had heard of um people describing the way that disclosed strategies in alter the game theory of rock paper scissors. So if you yes. have you know because yeah people enter in those rock paper scissors competitions people will enter you know something that's just like always rock and it's like yeah. it seems absurd it seems absolutely absurd it's like okay well this plays always rock so we know how to beat it but like if you're if you have an automated strategy then you know it's like always rock is going to be successful a certain percentage of the time so mm-hmm. yeah so like the, and and so it's like okay well no, because we know that there is a, that we have a competitor in the field that we need to watch out for called always rock we we got to make sure anytime that we're that we're we got to make sure that our that our scissor picking heuristics 
our our sound. So yeah, it yeah. seems like yeah, in a in a more multi dimensional sort of uh, uh, game theoretic space like like what you're describing, it seems like yeah, that becomes yet more complicated. Well, what's interesting here, yeah, is that if you disclose, you know, if you disclose you're doing always rock, then it becomes very easy to to beat that because you know you know how to play against always rock. But with with lowest positive unique integer, if you disclose that you're always playing one, you know, there's not an there's not an easy way to beat that knowing that. In fact, knowing that kind of makes it harder for you. Yeah. Yeah. I would argue that this is actually a major weakness of this game. Yeah. It it makes it very easy for a bad actor to make the game not fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's like is the is the point of the game to produce a result that can be used to you know, verif to pick something or verify something or whatever, or is it to give everyone a good time? You know, in the sense of like a, yeah. an enjoyable and or balanced multiplayer experience. Right. On the other hand, like the other thing you could do to make the game not fun is just to start punching people, which is also <laughs> mm-hmm. an action that takes place outside the bounds of the game but affects the gameplay. Yeah, and if That's you disclose true. that strategy ahead of time. It's definitely going to have, uh, you know, an impact on on the on the proceedings. Yeah, I'm going to start punching everybody. That's <laughs> not not no conditions there. I don't want to win. I just want to punch people. I'm just going to. Right. Yeah, this is this is my strategy. And then no one shows up, and you win by default. Yeah, yeah. yeah in a sense, yeah. It's in a sense, it's sort of deferring, or uh, you know, yeah, to 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 a much older uh, form of game theory, I guess. Yeah. Are we uh, are we ready for another topic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. JP, your topic is leaving beautiful ruins in a video game. I want to make sure that, that this isn't just me talking about uh, a video game that I was playing uh, a bunch recently. Uh, but I, for the last like two months or so, I've been playing a game called Satisfactory. It is an open world first person factory building game. Uh, you build factories that do like just kind of the zactronics style like input output you know managing things it's it's less puzzly than than a zactronics uh, thing but um but yeah and so but it you know because it happens in this open world and it's first person so like the full complexities of like a lush 3d world are like ever present um you know the the, the spaces that you build you can build you, you build like it's got pretty advanced building type stuff and because the game gives you a lot of incentives to like expand into different parts of the world, uh, which sometimes means leaving behind older structures, um, and because the game's difficulty, like the game's challenge curve takes, you know, honestly, like a few dozen hours to scale for the first time, you'll have parts of the world where you've built stuff, uh, the initially completely empty, unsettled, you know, just natural world you'll have parts of that world that feel like abandoned ruins. Like, oh yeah, I built that old facility and I haven't been back to it in a long time. Or I only occasionally go back to it because it's cranking out screws or something. Does it get overgrown? No, no, there is no. And and that's it's like a deliberate design choice on their part to not have like an entropy-like force whereby machines break down or native you know animals like attack your machines or something like that the way that, that other factory games do no it's, right. it's it's things things really will just kind of keep running and just sort of sit there but um but it still feels you know sort of abandoned just by the passage of time and that your attention has been elsewhere and stuff and specifically like there was a um the very first train line you know you end up building these train lines to transport material from 
one far-flung part of the map to another. Uh, and the first train line that I built was through this like really twisty, turny cave system. And it was full of like spiders and stuff. So it was like a real pain to like lay that track. And then later I kind of realized like, oh, now that I can just like go up over this big mountain thing, I can just build a much more direct train route. And so I'm going to like, I'm not going to tear down every piece of track that I laid through those caves. I'm just going to like splice in the new track length to take the more direct route. And then I'm going to leave those tracks kind of trailing off into the darkness of those caves. Yeah. And there was this real sense of like, Oh man, that's the, that that's now the haunted mine. You know, that mm-hmm. thing that I built is now like it's just it's just kind of haunted and I don't want to go back in there. I want so bad for the 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 mechanics to support that idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it got me thinking like, oh wow, okay, so you've got like emergent Ravenholm. You know, like that moment in Half-Life 2 where they're 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 at Black Mesa East and Alex and you pass the 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 tunnel that leads to Ravenholm. And Alex just yeah. says, that's the tunnel to Ravenholm. We don't go there anymore. You know, and you don't yet know that you're going to go there and have like a full on zombie like survival horror experience. But like it sort it plants the seed of it being like this scary place. But the idea of that coming from something that the player actually did, like, oh, yeah, you built this place. This was once like a vibrant place that you were actively living in and working in. And now it's haunted is like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I think if you, you know, particularly if you had like a multiplayer experience or something where multiple players were building stuff and then player A move, builds some stuff and moves on. And then sometime later, you know, and in, and in a game like No Man's Sky with like a big, weird, distributed, you know, uh, continuously ran, randomly generated universe, people could find something that you built like four years ago or something. You know, oh, which yeah. is like more than way more than enough time that is than is needed for something to feel haunted. Um, <laughs> if that was actually like part of the game mechanics and it was like, OK, you're landing on a planet that like has somebody built something here four years ago and it is haunted as hell now. And it's like, what could. Yeah, like you could probably do some pretty interesting stuff with that. I mean, it's a super tall order because you need to like build both a compelling building mechanics game as well as com- yeah. compelling stuff to do in ruins, you know, like dungeon crawling or, you know, searching for searching. Do you know for how stuff, moddable, but, yeah. for example, No Man's Sky, oh God. So when I say moddable, like obviously the mods aren't going to see the multiplayer. That wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people definitely have modded that game, but it's mostly just like plugging different, uh, plugging different data into the existing systems. I think most mm-hmm. of the systems in that game are implemented just in like, in native code, you know, the game doesn't have like a, an embedded scripting system or like a right. super flexible content language that just like lets you, you know, build completely new, totally not present in any form in the original game kind of thing. Um, yeah. This is a problem that I've faced most of my life is that I will have an interesting idea for a feature in the game, and the, but it requires this entire context and framework like i need to reinvent civilization in order to try this feature out yeah right uh, be- because like grand theft auto isn't uh open source basically yeah mm-hmm. totally right yeah like th- there are games that are these big sandboxes but they tend to be locked and so it's like p- they're, they're only sandboxes for the narrow range of things that, de- that the developers wanted to to, to implement um satisfactory apparently you know it's it's unreal engine 4 so it at least does it does have like a reasonable modding uh sdk and you know 
theoretically, and particularly once that game goes 1.0 and the, the modding API and Surface kind of stabilizes, like theoretically people could 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 make mods or something that's like, oh yeah, like old bases become haunted or you know various other things. But uh, it, yeah. it's still a, yeah, it's it's a really tall order, you know. And and I think Minecraft is probably the best example of like it's not open source, but it's moddable enough that people have plugged all kinds of wild stuff into it, you know. Yeah, I think Minecraft also has this thing where you, you tend to build stuff and then abandon it and like go off mm-hmm. and build something else and leave behind these ruins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it, it's it's possible that this has been, you know, and, and given how popular sort of like grassroots horror stuff has been, you know, where like teens really love Five Nights at Freddy's and, you know, just being scared of weird old crap. I, I guarantee you that there's like all kinds of weird horror mods and stuff for Minecraft and ones that take advantage of like the player, the sort of shared world player construction and, you know, all that. I, I'd, I'd almost be surprised if this, if stuff like this doesn't exist out there, but seeing it explored really deeply by like a dedicated dev team would be, would be pretty interesting. But yeah, it's, it's a high cost thing to experiment with. Yeah. I, I do think that, and I haven't engaged with this ecosystem very much, but I have seen incredible uh, variety of Minecraft mods. That is, it's very heartwarming. It's a- very absolutely, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. People have people have modded just like a full Pokemon game into Minecraft, and it's like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense that you know you can you can do that. And yeah, like I do wish that that stuff was like fully open source, you know, because yeah, like if 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 a game as popular as Minecraft was completely open source, I mean, it would be absolute chaos. There would be tons of forks everywhere that don't talk to each other. There would be all kinds of like, you know, bad stuff, like in terms of just people trying to like sell something, sell someone else's work or whatever. But having that open ecosystem there. I think would lead to like an incredible ferment of experimentation. Minecraft even being as open as it was, you know, and it was maybe comparable to like Doom or Quake or something. It still led to like all of this stuff, you know, and it was the, it was kind of the last game in recent memory that we've had that 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 had that kind of flexibility and became sort of a a, a mini medium unto itself. And uh, yeah, love for another one to come along and be actually open enough and free of corporate control that people could do the really wild stuff with it but yeah i guess minecraft was like the last gasp of pc gaming before like mainstream gaming went over onto phones yeah it's sort of yeah it was sort of concurrent with the 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 explosion of mobile i mean but you know mobile ended up mobile gaming did end up being kind of you know it had it had sort of it had a bubble like uh, leading end, and then it kind of settled into the sort of you know free to play uh, homeostasis that it's in today. Obviously, a, a gigantic market, but um, yeah, you know, it it did it it didn't you know, and I think at the, at the time there were various industry analysts who you know were stepping on their nuts or whatever, being like, oh yeah, like it's, it's going to replace other paradigms. That's something that people when a new paradigm comes around, people are <laughs> sometimes people who are overexcited analysts are like oh yeah like every game's going to be multiplayer in five years and it's like probably not probably well well it's true in that non-multiplayer games are basically a rounding error in terms of the money being made yeah Yeah, revenue yeah 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 when you look at like Fortnite and just i you know i don't even know what what is making the most money nowadays but um yeah, I mean, single player games haven't been on top of that heap for for a very long time now. Um, yeah, 
But it's, but you know, I mean, within multiplayer games, there's all kinds of, you know, there's been so much, you know, uh, diversification, you know, there's so many different things that it's, it's hard to draw a circle around it and say like, oh, well, yeah, this is the trend. It's like, no, things, things kind of, you know, the market, there was, there was yet another like Cambrian explosion and then it sort of settled into like these, uh, these relatively stable sub markets. Uh, but none of them do have like that sense of like openness and, uh, kind of the, the core strengths of PC gaming as a, as a platform, the way that Minecraft did. What's the name of the, there's a, there's a gaming platform that is very popular with the kids these days. Uh, Roblox. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Yes. I feel like Roblox is kind of trying to be that sort of thing, except it's, in, it's also entirely closed and owned by the company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's a totally closed platform and it's, you know, it's really, it's, it's the most self-consciously platform like version of that, that we've, that, that we've seen. Um, and yeah, like the people make games, video videos about Roblox, definitely give it credit for the, 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 the cool things that people are doing within it, but also like definitely doesn't, doesn't uh doesn't flinch at depicting like how horrible it can be and how it's just like yeah like 11 year old kids who want to try out game development just being thrown into the the capitalist snake pit where they're you know where their game like (laughs) is like competing against these moneyed competitors and then it gets ripped off and then they're like oh well i guess i guess i have five thousand robux in the bank and i can't withdraw them until i earn 10,000 robots. It's just all kinds of... It's it's horrible. The video is extremely damning. Yeah, yeah. And it's sad, too, because, like, you know, like... Like, yeah, between that and TikTok and just everything that is, like, this, you know, human attention zoo created by capital to just harvest human souls, it's like people are <laughs> pouring creativity into this, you know? Like, there there is genuine... Like, it's really awesome to see you know kids or young adults or whatever just like having goofs and like trying out all kinds of different stuff like the, the amount of like probably like game design experimentation that happens on roblox is probably no joke you know it's probably stuff that i would find really interesting it's just like i'm not gonna set foot on that platform because of sort of what it was created to do is always going to overshadow the things that people do with it so yeah it really yeah. would be amazing to have like that kind of quality of tool in the open source you know world you know because for for all i can tell like the the, the quality of the, the development tools in roblox is like quite amazing you know but to give people access to that outside that platform would be really really cool yeah yeah they really focused on like kind of a WYSIWYG, you know uh feels like a desktop application sort of uh you know like how do we cut a very direct diagonal line between the kinds of stuff that people want to build as interactive 3D worlds? You know, how do we make that as easy as possible? Um, you know, and, and they're certainly not the only attempt at that, but like they're the one that's had the most success. Um, and yeah, I would love to see people apply that tools thinking to, you know, I, I think that I think that stuff could be, you know, replicated and, and even, you know, uh, eclipsed by by other efforts. It's just you know it takes it takes capital to to you know to build something of of that magnitude you know it's 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 mm-hmm. that's another pretty big difference with um you know with the industry from the days of like quake and you know the, the sort of golden age of like the moddable game engine that got packaged with a fairly popular game that a bunch of people were playing and you would make mods for it or you would make maps for it i don't know this is this is an old that we've ended up like just squarely in my <laughs> wheelhouse because this is like yeah like that, that's how i got my start in game development 
it's it was undoubtedly a golden age you know not everything was perfect the tools were actually pretty terrible by contemporary standards but you know there was there was something good about it let's let's bring back that good thing but with good modern tools and you know all the cool yeah, social I, I'm definitely curious like are when are we going to start seeing people like does a game designers hired based on their Roblox portfolio? I, I'm guessing it's already happened. I mean, you know, like, yeah, yeah, like, you're yeah, probably like, right. Yeah. If a kid, if a kid was like, you know, 13 years old and made some actually fun, decent stuff on Roblox and then applied to a company when they were 19 or something. Yeah. People have absolutely gotten jobs on that, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it's like possible I, to escape. Yeah, like I started off making Doom levels, and then you know, made Quake, and then Half Life levels, and and got hired on the basis of of a Half Life portfolio piece. So like, you know, it's really I don't I don't have any like it's it's no it's there's no real difference. You know, it, it would have sounded just as absurd for me to for me to for somebody to to hear that like oh yeah I got a decent job with a salary and health insurance and a four hundred one k because I made a Half Life map. <laughs> um, you know, back in 1990, back in 2000, when I joined the industry, uh, it's, it's, it's roughly equally absurd to hear, to have yeah. heard that back then as to hear someone be like, oh yeah, like I got, I got a pretty decent job, uh, with my Roblox stuff now. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that's all the time we have for topic Lords. All right. JP, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Please do not try to find me on the internet. Uh, all of my, all, every trace of my online presence will be gone by the time you, no, not really. Uh, my website is vectorpoem.com. You can look at that or not. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I got. And Alex, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. You can follow me at ADL Leong on Twitter, or you can uh, watch me on Twitch at Dama Plays Games. Okay. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!